podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It. We bring you business ideas from proven founders. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. We're your hosts, Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have Kent Wilson, founder and CMO of RV SnapPad. He is in charge of all key growth marketing strategies and tactics. Kent, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, guys. Looking forward to, to seeing what we can talk about today. Yeah, we're very excited about it. Given all the success that you've had with RV SnapPad and the tenacity and some of the things that your family has had to overcome in getting that business going, I think there are a lot of lessons that you'll be able to share with our listeners here. So we will be talking about RV SnapPad during the episode, but this podcast is about new business ideas and you're so generous to share one with our listeners here. Tell us about the idea that you would like our listeners to run with. Sure thing. Yeah. So I'll admit right off the bat that it's a really selfish idea. <laughs> it's based on the fact that I don't like buying printers. I don't like owning printers. I don't like the entire experience. I don't think it's evolved for years. Um, and I don't know anyone who enjoys buying or owning printers. So I think... Oh man, you! I'm a hobbyist. I'm a printer hobbyist, man. That's my thing. No. <laughs> I didn't think that existed. So you're... <laughs> and was just deflated for a second there. <laughs> well, I was going to ask why, but uh, yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, I collect cartridges. You know, vintage <laughs> vintage H HP cartridges. That would be very strange. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it was just, it wasn't too long ago where we were struggling with another printer in the office. And I just said, I wish there was a subscription where we could have a good printer that just works we'd pay 10 bucks a month it would order ink whenever it needed it we wouldn't have to take care of it and if it stopped working we'd send it back and they'd send us a new one so just you see a lot of hardware as service kind of popping up and i think it would be nice just to have a printer i don't have to think about anymore it just works and if it doesn't work you send me another one that's the that's it just to get a sense of the origin of this problem in terms of the cost of the printer that you have currently what kind of level are we talking about? Is it a few hundred dollars? Is it a few thousand dollars? What kind of printer? Uh, it's very drastically. So the one I have at home, that was a couple hundred bucks. And I don't love that printer, but at least kind of still works. So it, it's there. The ones we have in the office are more multifunctional. They can do all the things you need in an office. I think they were five to $800. And the one before the new one we just got, I don't think it was two years old and it just stopped working. And it wasn't working well before that point. And this one worked well for about two weeks and we're all already seeing gremlins popping up on it. So, and that's been my experience with mid-level printers forever. I'm jumping in here. I'm on the attack as this, as a printer aficionado. <laughs> as a representative of the printer industry. <laughs> I, I feel like printers are already a subscription service and we just don't realize it. They sell you the printer, usually relatively inexpensively, because they know they're going to get you on the ink cartridges, and that's where they're going to make some money on the back end. And then you, it's basically a recurring, a recurring charge. I think that's interesting. I think people already, already are doing printers on a subscription service. So it's, it's interesting to see that maybe there's 
we're halfway there already. So, so maybe there's a. The printer is a Trojan horse to sell you ink for the next three or four years. And it's, it's not explicitly a good service. You know, even when I have to pick up more ink, I don't enjoy it. The ink's very expensive. The printer isn't optimized for the user experience. I don't think right now, at least it's not for me. It's optimized to sell you ink. And if you could make that a better experience, I, I think you'll do something for the business model, which I think currently just pisses everyone off. This has been a problem for at least 20 years. I think about the, uh, the movie office space scene where they take the printer out to the field and smash it up, <laughs> smash it up. We're going to have to put that in the show notes, but yeah, you would think that something like that would have been fixed in the intervening time. Why do you think that this problem has not been addressed? It's funny because it makes me think of another industry altogether. So I, I listened to a podcast with Dyson the creator of, of the Dyson vacuum. And uh, he shopped his idea to Hoover and some of the existing kind of incumbents in the industry. And they all looked at him and said, we like selling bags. So at the time you had to buy your vacuum and then you had to buy vacuum bags all the time. And they, they dismissed him because they said, our business model isn't really selling vacuums, it's selling bags. And now he's one of the incumbents in the industry. So I think it hasn't changed because it works for the incumbents. And no one's come along and done like a Harry Shave Club, what they did to Gillette and said, here's a better experience, here's a better price point, And maybe it's just waiting for something like that. Talk us through the mechanics of how it would work. I think you need to redesign the printer and I am not a hardware guy. I've never designed anything. I'm not an engineer. So maybe it's not possible to design a better printer. I hope it is given my experience with them. But, but the other thing is having a good direct-to-consumer experience and subscription experience. If you can do that well and you can make everything painless and maybe even integrate some internet of things with the printer itself. So it's, it's communicating both with the user and maybe the brand itself. Those are, I think, the three aspects you want to get right for this to work. I just want to vent some terrible printer-related experiences that I've had <laughs> recently. I had a, I feel like I'm the wise guy today. I don't even know if I'm going to contribute to the productivity <laughs> of this conversation. But uh, yeah, I tried to open a new bank account, and I actually opened multiple accounts at the same bank. And one guy handled opening the first account, and somebody else handled opening the second. And they sent me these documents, and they said, sign these. Okay, great. I filled them out on my computer. Mac has a cool, you can do your signature and just put it right on a digital document. I did that, sent it back. He's like, cool, your accounts are opened. And then it got handed off to this other person to open the next account, sent me the same documents. I was like, oh, great, same documents. I'll just change the details and change the name of the business and I'll use the signature again. Oh, we can't use e-signatures. You have to print this out. You have to sign it, you, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So th all this is just leading me to ask you the question, what are you printing and why? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, the, you don't even think about a printer until you absolutely have to have one. This makes me think that Amazon should get in the printing business. Nobody owns a, a printer, but since Amazon is so on snap delivery, they can get something delivered in a few hours. So if you're willing to pay a subscription for a printer, why even have the printer at all? You, you just say, I need this printed. You send it to Amazon and they say, cool, where do you need it delivered? 
and you've already, you're paying your subscription. So you have to worry about like, oh man, 20 bucks for one thing I printed. Nah, don't even worry about it. You just got this subscription. It's like owning a printer. And then they just go to the local Kinko's and have it print out or whatever. They give it to you. They hand it to you. They'll probably be able to hand it to you before you even thought that you needed it printed. <laughs> is, is, there, is there room to change this and not even have a printer, but it's like more of a subscription for like a relationship with Kinko's or something like that. And, and then, I mean, that'll work if you live in a dense urban center and you're close to a Kinko's or some sort of other thing. But like, personally, I live in a town called, called Langdon, which is about 15 minutes outside of Calgary, which is the major metro here. And there's been times, as I said, I have a home printer where I do need to print something and, you know, Amazon isn't getting there, it there in a few hours and there's no Kinko's and, uh, and there's other stuff in the office. Like sometimes I get contracts I want to go through in print. There's proofs we do for uh, magazine ads, traditional stuff where I need to print it out and go over it and see how it's it's printing. So there is other stuff that I just I need in my hand right now, and I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to deal with a printer who can't find the Wi-Fi for some reason. Obvious objection that I want to try and address here. As people have moved more to electronic communication, people have been predicting for a long time that printers will become obsolete because you won't need to print things if you have a tablet and uh, PDFs and everything. What they've actually seen, though, is printing has increased dramatically since that's happened for whatever reason. I wonder if you think that same sort of, that same sort of concern redux could happen right now with people working remotely and potentially staying remote for longer, one of the the primary use cases that come to mind for having a printout is to be able to give it to someone to pass it along. But if you're all working remotely, then that may not happen. How do you envision printer use going on for the next 10 years, 20 years? I think it actually might increase with remote work because right now, if you have a bunch of people going into an office and there's one printer there and you just use the printer if, if it's there and it works. I've actually worked from home and other professions in the past and I had to have a printer at home because of that. Now, it's not as frequent as it probably was in the mid 90s when people were printing everything. But as I said, something always comes up where you have to have it in your hand. You have to sign this document or you have to look it over and do X, Y, or Z. Fair enough. Let's get into some of the specifics a little bit more here. You know, what, what are some of the challenges that come to mind in getting this idea going? Definitely the hardware design. If you don't have a good printer, it, well, this type of thing will be product driven to some degree. People want to have, want to know that it's different from what's out there to in, in some way. And then the, the real thing obviously is the funnel afterwards. If you're going to have to get users in, in the door, test out the entire subscription model, iron out the kinks, and then be able to scale it. And that's always the challenge when it comes to direct-to-consumer and digitally native vertical brands like this. So um, if you can get that funnel right, and if you have a good product, and if you can provide really good customer service, I think that might be the third leg of the stool. That's what uh, has really driven some of the success for my other company you mentioned, RV Snappad. If you do those three things, it sounds easy, highly challenging. If you do them right, maybe you have something here. I think that's a great time to bring in some of the experience that you've had with RV Snaphead. Because as we talk about this, I don't know how much it would cost to design a new printer. You've had experience designing some complicated 
pieces of equipment that are safety critical for RVs. So I imagine that would be maybe comparable. I, I have no idea about how much uh, it would cost to do so. So that, and a subset of that question is, do you think that you would need to raise a substantial amount of money in order to create the hardware? Probably, and it might not even be the engineering part of it. Of course, I've never tried engineering a printer, so maybe it's impossible, but I think it's the manufacturing after that. And that's one of the major hurdles we've tried to overcome with my other companies. So, you know, the engineering part, the prototyping, you can get that down, but it's how do you produce this on a mass scale that becomes the really big question. And I think it's probably a bigger question with uh, a mechanical part like this, which would be relatively complex compared to the rubber parts that we're making for my other company. Yeah, it's really interesting to also for us to to get a sense of what you've done in RV SnapPad and and how that started and the struggles that you've been through and and how that applies to getting started afresh with something. Is Is there anything else you can think of where you learned a big lesson in starting RV SnapPad. Maybe you tried something and you realized it was a terrible idea or you finally tried something you realized, oh my gosh, that was a great idea, but I can't believe it took so long. Yeah, I think I'll start with where we started at the very beginning and then talk about where we are now because we came up with a new product category in RVing. Anyone who RVs, especially with one of the bigger luxury models, knows that you have what are called jack feet. They're these metal things that come out of the leveling system and help you level the RV in various terrains. Before us, people were putting what were called jack pads beneath them, just blocks or wood or rubber, and you'd have to physically put them down, carry them, pick them up, a big hassle. So we made these basically big rubber boots that snap right onto these jack feet and they stay on permanently. So people put them on once, they leave them on. But of course we didn't know if this was actually a concept that would catch on, not at all. We found a rubber manufacturer in, in the US, we worked on some prototypes. We got one done for one of the most prolific feet in the market. And then we actually went directly to consumers via just message boards and owners associations, which exist in the RV industry. And we just asked them, want to try this? And some people seemed to like it. We made a very simple one pager website that was selling them to them directly. Uh, our first sale was made the day after we launched and the guy was actually an abandoned cart. We asked him why we went right to him and said, why do you not? buy the product he said shipping charges so we took out shipping and then from there it was just stoking the fire at the grassroots level like going to going on message boards and listening to feedback and then we put up very simple Facebook ads and listening to feedback and then going to micro influencers that exist in the RV industry and try this product out tell us what you like and we were lucky like the product really caught on the, the value prop people love it and it went from there so down the road it got a lot bigger, a lot faster than we thought. And now we are dealing with that scaling problem. We started with that one manufacturer I mentioned and we have completely overwhelmed them. And we have this unique product that no other rubber manufacturer has seen or tried before. So it's taken us months and months to find somebody else. And we're not even sure if they can scale yet. So it's, it's a great problem to have, but it's a very frustrating problem to have. So maybe there's a place where in, in the case of starting a project like this, if it, if it does become successful, what kind of alternative options do we have to scale very quickly? That's really interesting to bring to the forefront. 
because I think the traditional model of somebody starting a business, uh, your standard small business goes, it's going to be huge. <laughs> and then they adapt to the fact that it's going to be small. And then they forget about the huge territory. And then it's almost hard to get into the huge territory because their mind is not wrapped around it appropriately. One of the things that jumps out to me from your story from RV Snappad is the level of engagement that you had with early customers and the folks who are really excited and enthusiasts in the market. Is there a way that you could create that similar sort of focus group with the printer industry? Yeah, that's a good question. And it, the other reason I brought this uh, idea to you guys was the day I had the brainstorm, I have a pretty good Twitter following. So every so often I'll throw something out there. And I said, if only there was this printer subscription business where it would do X, Y, Z. And there was just this outpouring of, yes, please do this. Someone else said, if you do this, I will fund it. So <laughs> it was somewhat facetious, obviously, because they could tell I wasn't actually going to do this tomorrow. But it was interesting to see kind of this uh, instant reaction to that kind of idea. So it would, it would be the type of thing where you could maybe just go out there and I don't know if it's a Kickstarter or just a pre-sale kind of idea where you say, this is what we're thinking of doing. You know, here's what the printer probably looks like. Here's what we want to do for you as a printer consumer. Sign up and be a beta tester or be the first thousand people to get this printer and let us know what you think. Another angle on this for selling it could be to companies. A lot of companies have their employees working from home, and I imagine that at least some of them would be okay with paying five bucks or 10 bucks a month to have their employees be a little bit more productive, even if they're 5% more productive, that's a huge return on investment for them. For sure, like an enterprise sales model would be very interesting where you could say, hey, you know, spend 200 bucks a month and you get 200 printers or, or something. Yeah, going back to the idea of this already existing, isn't that kind of something that happens now? Or like when I think of Xerox, the company, right? Before, when, when Xerox was the new thing, I think that's what they did, right? They sold to companies, you got this big giant box, they shipped it in, you probably paid some sort of rental and maintenance fees on it. Somebody came in, they fixed it. They, were, they had a kind of a maintenance contract and things like that. Am I wrong on that? Or? I think there is definitely like a service model for higher end enterprise printers. Like you spend a couple grand or, or it's, it's amortized over a number of months and they'll come in and fix it if they have to. And it's, I think that definitely does exist. It just doesn't exist for me as the guy who wants a very simple printer on my desk. Right. And doesn't want to, you know, commit to $2,500 for a quarter. Right. Make, yeah. Making it at the level of a dollar shave club. Exactly. Yeah. I actually met, I met someone, I was just hanging out in a bar in Manhattan about a year ago and this person had started monthly contact lenses and they just send you the daily contacts, pay a subscription service. There's so much room, I think nowadays for people to transition to those type of business models. Take anything and see if you can turn it into a monthly subscription. There's a few books that are on this topic. And I'm trying to think, Chris, do you know of the names? I feel like there's one about just building, built to sell, I think is the name. And then there's another book, maybe by the same author that talks about all the different subscription models that you can create. I'll look it up and maybe find it during this episode or we'll put it in the show notes. But there's a full book about how, what kind of subscription models are there, how can you apply them to different types of items, and how you can make them successful. Let's get into some of the action steps for the listener here. 
our listeners, they may not have some of the resources that you have at your disposal, Kent. So keep that in mind as we're coming up with some of the action steps. But let's say that there's a listener out there who they have a full-time job. They are trying to do something on the side. They don't have a lot of disposable resources to invest in this, but maybe they have some friends and family that would commit to an idea that they're really excited about. What would you do if you were in that position to get this idea validated and and going? Best first step is to find a co-founder. And I say that because uh, RV Snap had, as a family business, it was bootstrapped. We didn't really raise much money aside from friends and family to start. And we could not have been able to do that without a good committed team, people with varying levels of experience and talent, just because I came from digital marketing. I was in a digital marketing agency when we started that company. My father, who's still uh, with the company, he had experience previously in RVing. And my brother had gone through business administration and uh, sort of an MBA. And my youngest brother was doing SEO. So we all were able to come together and do things as a side gig or in a garage that would cost you probably a lot of money to do if you're going to hire a consultant or an agency. So if you can find a good co-founder or even a team of people to take a leap of faith with you to start, it's a huge first step because it's really tough to get beyond that without any real funding. What other action steps come to mind for you? Once you have a good co-founder you can trust or a team, uh, it's really looking into if you can design the sprinter. Is it possible to make a product that can delight people that works and that you can build a brand around? And once, if you find something like that, that's what we did with with Snappad. We found a prototype and we said, okay, we have this thing. We think it works. We think the concept is good. The next step is finding an audience or finding people you can you can try it out with. You need beta testers or you need an audience or you need just even a small little few bits of customers to test your idea. Do they like it? Where are the rough points? Where are the friction points? And then you just iterate from there. And then that's what we did with RV Snapbed. We had one version of it. We had two SKUs. We now have over 40 SKUs. And as we went along the way, we listened to customers as much as possible. And then we just kept making more versions of it based on feedback. You know, this isn't, this may seem like an obvious question to you, but it's not to a lot of people. How did you know to listen so carefully to your customers? Because a lot of people don't realize that's something to do. Maybe they wouldn't call that person that had the abandoned cart. They just go, oh, well, you know, a a totally other entrepreneur could have said, ah, they abandoned the cart. Screw it. (laughs) Nobody's into this thing. (laughs) On to other ideas. The the funny thing is it's a mixture of just natural curiosity and insecurity. Because as I said, we came up with this idea. We thought it seems to work, but maybe it doesn't. So we listened to every bit of feedback we got. Another thing that happened was our first version of the product. So our current version has cutouts on the side and it's for water to escape because it can gather on the top of these jack feet. And our first version didn't have that. And probably 30% of our initial customers came back to us and said, I'm worried about standing water. And we said, all right, how about we make these cutouts? And we released that version probably six months in and our our revenue jumped, doubled all of a sudden. We said, okay, that works. (laughs) So we had just little indications that listening very carefully to your customer and iterating on their suggestions works really well. And we've just stuck with it. 
So I'd like to go a little bit deeper on that in terms of if you are really interested in what your customers say, how do you manage your time and energy commitment to actually speaking and interacting with customers? Do you try to reach out to them by the phone? Is it something where you correspond by email or message groups? And where do you draw the line? Every business is going to have those customers who want you to bend over backwards to make sure, you know, hey, can you come put them on my RV for me? You know, you, you, you can't do everything. Where do you draw the line and how do you manage that curiosity and that wanting to help, but not always being able to? Some of it is multi-channel. So making sure you have various bits of feedback coming through various sources. So we actually didn't have a phone number initially because we weren't we weren't really a company. We were a side gig of a bunch of people trying to do things. We had a Shopify store. So our initial bits of feedback were just watching message boards as people talked about the product when we put it out there. And then using email. If we, if someone put an email down, abandoned a cart or bought something. Did you, did you ever sit down in front of a message board and you've been in front of it for four hours? Do you go, okay, it's enough. <laughs> I, I want to stop. I need to stop watching this message board. Or, you know, how do you control your attention so that you're not spending too much time doing that? And maybe you need to dedicate to other things. We actually had a team of people. It's very tough if you're one person doing this. So uh, we had my, my middle brother, who was the guy who had been through business and stuff. He was doing a lot of the message boards things. I would look at Facebook. So once we started doing Facebook ads, I loved Facebook ads because unlike Google or display, people would comment. So I would watch comments on Facebook. He would engage with people on message boards if needed. Any one of us would jump into uh, Gmail. And then actually my father was the one, once we had a, a phone number, uh, he would pick up the phone. So we had enough people on board that it wasn't overwhelming for one person, which was, again, hugely beneficial for us. Who would have thought that people would get excited to comment on an ad about feet on RVs? <laughs> it just goes to show you what a cool thing you've created and how it serves people. I think that this goes back to the printer idea is who are the geeks? You know, who are the geeks on printers and you want to get into their world? Who are the people that are already having chats about how printer functionality and how to optimize it and where do you find the best printer? And I think if you can get in on those, those communities where people are just really obsessed with printers to the point where you're like, this is weird, but it's great. You know, then you get in those groups and you found your home. The other thing you can do is try to find the people whose pain point you are solving the most. So what happened to us over time was our primary, our core customers are retired. Uh, they have the biggest RVs, which are the biggest pain to get underneath. And they also have the most money, obviously, because they have those big luxury RVs. But we also see a lot of people with um, infirmities or problems with their knees or back. We see a lot of veterans because our uh, we've had people call customer service and ask about which one do we get and, and almost come to tears because they said, we think your product will drastically change our lives. And, you know, we didn't get into it. We didn't even have an idea it would be that important to some people when we started it. But if you can find that core of people whose pain point you were really alleviating, they will become advocates for you. I love going at this from the angle of humor because people... Like you said, people just liked your comment and because they're just frustrated with their printer. I just Googled this, or searched on Facebook to see if there were any literal groups where they just make fun of printer problems. I did not find one directly, yeah. but I can imagine 
somebody could create a meme group around printers and people's problems and hey post your printer complaints and post yourself beating up your printer with a baseball bat or whatever it is it's hilarious that you bring that up i just want to jump in because my other idea immediately after we talked about the subscription was a uh, another service where you send us the printer you hate and we destroy it on video in some sort of <laughs> dramatic fashion and then you will send you the video and you can laugh at it those are collateral businesses those are those go in lockstep together that could be yeah. a marketing campaign exactly the other thing that's really worked for us in rv snappad was micro influencers and there's people with 10,000 20,000 sometimes less sort of followers and we've had some on youtube drive tens of thousands of dollars in sales over a couple of weeks uh, just because their audience is so engaged and they care about everything they say and they're they're not these huge celebrities they're just people who are genuine, love what they're doing, and have an audience that appreciates that. I think it's time for our rapid fire question section uh -oh. here, <laughs> if you're ready for it. <laughs> okay, yep, let's do it. <laughs> Jump it right in. Okay, printers. Explain the idea to your mom. She's actually part of customer service right now. Like we expanded so quickly, we just grabbed everyone in our circle. Like we need help right now. So yeah, I think it's simple for my mom. She doesn't like dealing with printers at all. So I'll say, if I could send you a printer that you pay 10 bucks a month for, and it works all the time, and we have instant help for you, and you never have to worry about it again, would you do that? Do you think this is a six, seven, or eight figure business? Home printers, what, a billion dollar business in the U.S. alone, I think I looked that up. I'm going to say seven, but maybe it could get bigger than that. Who does your first dollar come from? If this worked, I would buy it. I'd be the first customer. <laughs> sell it to yourself. <laughs> ah, that's a BS answer. Give us a different one. All right, all right. <laughs> Who would I sell this to first? My brother's father-in-law. He's semi-retired, but he's very busy. He works from He works from home all the time. I think he'd love it. What would make you quit this idea? Very easy. If I can't make a printer that's worth selling, that's the first step. And if I, if you try this and put it out there to a hundred people and they go, meh, then yeah, you quit. And what is the first action a listener should take? Find someone who can design you a printer and let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You made it through. We are coming up on time here. We've talked about RV Snappad. Tell us a little bit more about where people can go to find you and, and about that story. We're on rvsnappad.com, obviously online, where we can be found in over 300 dealerships in the U.S. right now. We're talking to two major distributors in North America, so we hope to be in over 3,000 dealerships in the next 24 months. Great. So to the listener out there who is on board with their hatred of printers, with Kent's hatred of printers and Ethan's love <laughs> yeah. of it, maybe, <laughs> weird fascination <laughs> with printers, take some action on this idea, follow through on the steps that we've outlined, email us at update at runwithit.fm with what you've done. Everyone who responds will gain access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session with Kent and potentially a business partnership on this idea. Kent, thank you very much for the conversation. It was a pleasure having you and hearing your thoughts on printers and this idea and business in general. We really appreciate it and look forward to connecting again soon. And to the listener, we will see you next week.
The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.